This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Resurrection this morning, I just want to give a word of welcome to our preacher, uh, Acting Bishop John Miller, who is uh, serving as the bishop of our diocese during Bishop Stewart's leave. Uh, we are thankful to have Bishop John here. He's been here all weekend, uh, coming to us from his home in Florida. Uh, ministering to leaders throughout the diocese. And as I think you're about to see, this man has a deep, deep love for God's word, a deep, deep love for the church. And he has already been such a, a pastor and a shepherd to many of us. So will you please give a warm welcome to Bishop John Miller. Thank you, Dean Steve. Would you please pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of these, your people, and kindle in us the light of the world, the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you be seated? Just a few things. Um, I am an acting bishop. That doesn't mean I'm acting like a bishop. I actually am a bishop. <laughs> I just happen to be your acting bishop uh, in this season when my dear brother Stuart is on a leave of absence. Uh, I seek your prayers for Catherine, for him, and for his family during this time. It's a great honor to be here with you today. This is my second visit to Rez. The first was when Bishop Stuart was, was consecrated. And um, I felt like I should bring you a gift as I came this day, uh, don't get too excited about that, but you uh, are receiving a match. And you're like, wow, great gift, Bishop John. <laughs> but hopefully it will mean something to you as I move through God's Word this morning. I want to remind parents and those of you who are older and a bit devious, these are strike-on-the-box matches only. Notice you weren't given the box, okay? I ask that you do not spindle, fold, mutilate, or use these matches as a toothpick. Just hold on to them till the appropriate moment, and I'll try to bring this illustration home. Let me start by um, sharing with you some mission statements. Uh, the reason that organizations write mission statements is so that they can state to the world their primary objective in existing. So for instance, the GAFCON mission statement, the Global Anglican Future Conference mission statement is this, proclaiming Christ faithfully to the nations. And the mission statement of the Anglican Church in North America, of which this diocese and Church of the Resurrection is a part, the mission statement is reaching North America with the transforming love of, of Jesus. And then there is this mission statement, inviting everyone into a transforming with re relationship with Jesus and his church. Does anybody know what that third mission statement, uh, what organization wrote that mission statement? Res, that's right. It's, you know what, don't leave here without knowing your mission, okay? There it is, inviting every, listen, everyone into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And what I want to point out about those three mission statements is this, that each one of them clearly states that we should be taking Christ Jesus out into the world and sharing him with them 
who desperately need him. And if the world ever needed Jesus, it certainly needs him now. So this is Christ the King Sunday, and although I have not chosen to preach from the appointed scriptures for Christ the King Sunday, it remains the fact that Jesus is not only Lord and Savior, but he is also our, our King. And I want to help you uh, discover a way that you can serve the Lord, you can serve your King as a messenger, as an evangelist, don't let that term frighten you, as an emissary of the Lord Jesus as you go out into the world to wherever the Holy Spirit of God sends you, with whomever you meet out there. So let me start where God's Word starts in the very beginning of Genesis. I promise not to take you through the end of Revelation, but let me start at the beginning of Genesis where Moses, through inspiration, wrote these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. Let there be light. The first command that God spoke into the vastness of his universe was, let there, be, let there be light. Now, I want to take you to the opposite extreme of, of light. I want to talk for a moment about darkness. And what you need to understand about darkness, is, it's, it's actually a phenomenon we can't measure because darkness is the absence of light. And I want to ask you if any of you have ever stood in total, absolute Darkness, darkness that is sort of, you know, unnerving and it's disorienting and it's, and it's even threatening. Have any of you ever stood in absolute darkness? And I'm not even talking about in a dark room where you, where you develop photographs because they have little fluorescent strips here, but that absolute darkness. Um, for instance, perhaps sometime you've, you've gone to visit a cave and a guide has taken you in the cave into the deepest darkest recesses of the cave. And when you're down there, he turns off whatever lights are, are on or his flashlight or her flashlight. And, and they, then they love to strike a match, don't they? You know, after you're, you're hoping somebody better turn those lights on, they strike one little match. And it's amazing how that little match pierces the darkness. Now, you don't see much, but you see something, don't you? Because the light, even that small flicker of light, has pierced the darkness. I observed this many times as a scientist when I dove in research submersibles down to 3,000 feet. And in the, uh, in the Bahamas, in the Caribbean, where the water is, is gin clear, you know what I mean by that? It's crystal clear. You can descend about 1,000 feet and still read the print on a newspaper if you have good eyesight. But beyond that, there really is no light that we as human beings can perceive. And one of the favorite tricks of the submersible pilot was to turn off everything in the sphere in which we were seated, and there would be this total, absolute darkness that would just consume us, but not for long. Because as we would sink into the watery depths, sooner or later, this 21-foot, 12-ton submersible would strike something. That didn't have to be something very large, but it would strike some sort of microorganism that had the ability to phosphoresce 
and boom, that little flash of light would pierce the darkness so that for an instant we could see. In fact, if I would turn towards the pilot as that phosphorescence occurred, I could see the portrait, the outline of the pilot's face. So I want to talk with you about light and darkness. And surely you're aware that the sun gives us light by day, and the moon, depending on its phases, gives us some reflected light at night. But in spite of that, all right, even though the sun comes up every morning, okay, there is still a darkness, and that is a spiritual darkness that continually covers this earth. You must know. I mean, if you ever turn on the news, if you ever read anything about what's going on in the world, you must know that there is a spiritual darkness that continually covers this world. And what you need to know is that it's the, predominantly the work of the church. It's predominantly the work of Christians like you and me who are to carry the light of God into this world so that others can be attracted to him. Others might be pulled to him. We are to carry the light of the Lord into the darkness. So how do we do that? Well, consider, for instance, the spiritual darkness on this particular day over the nation of Israel. I don't know how many of you have ever visited the Holy Land. It's a very small country. But I wonder if you know, have any idea how many enemy Arab missiles are actually targeting Israel at this time. The estimates run in the hundreds of thousands. Can you imagine? One little country with hundreds and thousands of enemy rockets all targeting Israel. Think of the countless Jews and Arabs that live there waiting for that spiritual darkness to be pierced. And it's not a new phenomenon. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a Jew living in Jerusalem who was waiting for God to pierce the darkness in his troubled land. And his name was Simeon. And Simeon, we're told by Luke, the, the, the uh, gospel writer, Simeon was a devout and righteous Jew. He was looking for the consolation. He was looking for the comfort of, of Israel. And he was in Jerusalem waiting to see the promised Messiah, whom the Holy Spirit of God had told him he would see before his death. And now it's 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple so that he could be consecrated to God. And we hear Simeon uh, say these words when he sees Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. When Simeon laid eyes on Jesus, and when he held Jesus, he proclaimed that Jesus was God's instrument of salvation. He was going to be the comfort of the Gentiles. He was going to be the glory of the nation of Israel. He was going to be the one who would lead people to God through the nation of Israel. Jesus was this light coming into the world to pierce the darkness. And we might ask the question, 
how would Simeon even know about this? I mean, how would he have knowledge about this? My guess is because he knew the scriptures. He knew what we call the Old Testament scriptures. And 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this light coming into the world. We heard it read this morning from uh, the Old Testament reading. Let me read part of it to you in chapter 60 of Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, when those words were penned by the prophet Isaiah, he didn't know that, the, that Jesus, that someone named Jesus was going to be the Messiah, but he was prophesying about it, and Simeon knew about that, and he met Jesus because 700 years later, Jesus did come. He came to bring light into a dark and a broken world that those he created might comprehend the reason for their existence. And in that knowledge and in that truth, they might walk in his light that others might be drawn to him. Others might be pulled into a relationship with him. Now, did you know that walking in the light and pointing to the light was also essentially the ministry of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Listen to these words from the first chapter of the gospel according to John. There was a man sent from God whose name was, was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So John the Baptist would go about pointing to Jesus, pointing to the light who had come into the world. And he would say things like this. He is the one who surpasses me because he was before me. I'm not even worthy to kneel down and untie the thong of, of his sandal. And I have testified, I have seen and borne witness that he is the Son of God. He is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. John would, would point to Jesus to lead those walking in great darkness into the presence of the one again who came to pierce the darkness. Now, Jesus is no longer physically present with us like he was with Simeon, like he was with John the Baptist, but our ministry is similar to their ministry. Our ministry is similar to the ministry that the Israelites were to have, and that is we are to point to the Messiah, the true light that gives light to all people. We're to point to the one that Paul describes as him and who we live and move and have our being. John would literally point to Jesus, the light of the world, and say, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we have to ask ourselves, how do we fulfill our mission of pointing to the light? How is it that we, as Christians today, how do we point to Jesus? Well, we do it by allowing the light of Christ in us to shine forth to others through our words, if necessary, but more importantly, through our actions. And there's no escaping this mission for any Christian. 
If you think there's a way for you to bow out of this, to renege on what the scriptures tell you, forget it. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said that he was the light of the world. You heard that read this morning in the gospel lesson. He said he was the light of the world, but he also turned around in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said that those who were following him were the light of the world, meaning when he was no longer among us, we were to carry on his ministry, being light in the darkness, piercing the darkness with his light. We are to carry on Jesus' ministry, shining light into the darkness. In fact, Jesus even made a promise that those who, never, those who follow him, they would never walk in darkness, but they would have the light of, the, a light of life. Well, beloved, we are to be the light of Christ, the light of Jesus in this world, so that others might see us. They might be, they might be drawn to the Father. They might be drawn to the Son. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Just as nobody lights a candle and puts it on a bowl, no, what they do is they place it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. And therefore, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven, the Father who sent the Son into this world that we might have life and have it abundantly. And let me tell you something about shining your light. We cannot do it. We must not do it in any arrogant or pretentious manner. Because to do that will only convince people out there that we are exactly what they think about us, what the unbelievers, the agnostics, and the atheists believe about us, and that's that we're all a bunch of what? Hypocrites. So we can't let our light shine in arrogant, pretentious ways. We have to let our light shine through genuine compassion and through unconditional love and, and sincere sympathy. And, and we can't just let it shine when we, when we feel like it. We have to shine wherever we're sent and wherever the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. So we have to do it in our homes. We have to do it in our places of work, in our schools, in our leisure activities, in our volunteer organizations, the light of Christ should be shining through all the time to whomever and wherever the Holy Spirit of God sends us. Let me just switch gears here for a second and talk about where I was as a scientist before I had the light of Christ. You know, as a scientist, I believed that the universe was nothing more than a huge cosmic accident and that all life here on Earth was nothing more than just the byproduct of time plus chance plus mutation. And the world was just sort of a laboratory where my colleagues and I were scientists and I, we could, we could study it and we could dissect it so we could help people who were in the dark understand it because eventually with enough time and talent and money, we would solve all the problems of the world. Science was king, science was God. I actually did believe that at one time, that somehow we were going to solve all the problems of the world. And then one day I met this guy named Jesus. And as is, as is this light bulb, this enormous light bulb went on in, in my being, in, in, in my mind, in, in my, my understanding. And, and the interesting thing is I saw the same world. 
but I saw it in an entirely different way. And I saw the same people, my friends, my, my relatives, my coworkers, but I saw them in a completely different way as well. And when we come to know Jesus and we begin to follow him and, and serve him and, and live like him and, and love like him, and people see us, they see the same person, but they should see us in a completely different light. There should be something different about us. They should see Christ in us, his peace, his compassion, his integrity. They should see in us the life they yearn to live, not because it's our life, but because it's the life of Christ Jesus being lived through us. That's what Paul would write about in Galatians. He said this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is Christ, Paul was saying. John said it this way, I must decrease, I, John, must decrease, he, Jesus, must increase. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we live in his presence, the more we should look and sound and act like him. You know, when people look at you and they interact with you, what do they see? What do they experience? Do they simply see and experience you? Or do they see and experience at least something of the crucified and risen Christ in your life? At the beginning of this message, I ask if, if you've ever stood in, in total, absolute darkness, darkness that is oppressive and, and weighty, darkness that closes in on you. And my guess is, if you've ever had a period of spiritual darkness, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know all too well what I'm talking about because you're living in a spiritually dark time right now. But no matter where you are in your relationship with the Lord, whether you're in the light or whether spiritual darkness has overcome you, you need to understand that there are many people the world over who are walking in great darkness. They are leading spiritually impoverished lives, lives that are full of sin and addiction and loneliness and bitterness and hatred and anger and misery, desperately in need of light to come into their lives, to pierce that darkness. The question is, are you willing to carry the light of Christ into their lives? Are you willing to let the light of Christ that at one time pierced the darkness in your own soul pierce the darkness in somebody else's soul? Are you willing to share that? Now, here's the problem that we face. Many people think, I can't do that because I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not a seminary graduate. I'm not a theological giant. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I would just feel much too inadequate to ever share my faith or to share the light of Christ that's within me. And actually, you know, if, if that's you, you're in good company. I want you to listen to these words that were penned by none other than the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this, 
Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Did you hear it? Paul himself, the one who authored 13 books of the New Testament, did not feel worthy, did not feel smart enough, adequate enough, sufficient enough to proclaim the gospel, but he was given grace to do it. And so will you be given that grace if you open yourself up to the Lord, if you ask the Lord to provide for you opportunities to share the light of Christ with others. Well, I'm going to drive this point home by making a complete fool of myself up here. And I prayed about this this morning. I always pray before I preach, you know what, Lord? I really don't want to be made a fool this morning. But if that's what's going to take to get the message across to your people, make me a fool for Jesus. So as I stand up here in this Episcopal regalia, I'm going to lead you in a song. We're going to hold up our matches, and we're going to sing a song that most of you probably learned when you were a little child. And somebody out there knows the name of the song, and it is this little light of mine. And you're going, this is so lame. <laughs> hold up your match and sing with me. I do not have a great singing voice. I don't care. I'm going to make a joyful noise to the Lord. You do the same. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Verse 2, hide it under a bushel. Oh, that, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that was better than the first service, but it was still... I want to hear that no to wake up all the demons in hell and let them know Jesus is Lord, okay? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Very good. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it that some of the most important things we learn about Jesus, we learn as little children in Sunday school, and then we grow up, and then we mature, and then we don't act upon that knowledge? When is it that we become too refined, too dignified, too sophisticated to let our little light shine? What's the problem with that? Do you know what Jesus said about that? If you will not accept the kingdom of God like a little child, you will not enter it. That's why I love to watch little children worship. They're so genuine in it. Nothing holds them back. You know, the dean of the seminary I attended used to uh, share this quip with his students on a regular basis. The problem with Anglicans is that we're paralyzed by our politeness because we believe in good time, all people of good taste will eventually become Anglicans. 
I know this is going to get back to the archbishop. That's okay. I'll explain myself away. But as an Anglican bishop, while I hope other people will become Anglicans, I don't care about that nearly as much as I care about people becoming Christians. You will not be asked to show your card that you're a faithful Anglican when you meet the Lord face to face. But we need to help people find their way into the kingdom of God. And we do that by allowing Jesus' light to shine through our words and actions because just a little bit of his light can pierce the darkness just as surely as a match can pierce, can pierce the darkness in the darkest recesses of a cave. Now, one short, one short uh, illustration, and, and I'm going to close. The second time I went to Africa, took 12 people with me, and we were touring two different dioceses, and we spent a week in the first one, and we were being transported around in a van by a man named Hamada. And uh, unbeknownst to me, Hamada was Muslim. And we had a deacon who went everywhere with us, and he did the translating because nobody in the group spoke French or Kenya Rwandan. And very few people we encountered spoke English. So one day, the day before we were about to leave that diocese, the deacon came to me and, and he said, uh, uh, Bishop John uh, Hamada, um, he's thinking about becoming a Christian. I said, well, you know, does he have a faith? Oh, yes, he's, he's Muslim. I said, really? He said, would you pray for him? So we got the group together that night and, and, and we prayed for him. The next day, Hamada was standing in the back of this church where I was preaching. And... Um, when the service was over and we were back at the residence where we were staying, Deacon came up to me with Hamada and said, Hamada wants to turn his life over to Jesus. And we were, you were cheering and we were crying and gathered around and, and we prayed over him. And, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I must have really preached great today, you know? I really put a zinger out there and, and now he's a Christian. Actually, I wasn't really thinking that. What I was thinking was what he saw and those people who came with me to Rwanda was such love and such compassion for these African people that he wanted that. He saw the light of Christ shining through them as they made utter fools of themselves by getting up and trying to dance with the Africans who, I mean, we have, we have no rhythm. We have no coordination compared to them. And, and then they, the, the most amazing thing happened during the service when I was preaching this 80-year-old woman who was sitting along the side up front picked up a baby, had a baby on her lap for quite a while, and she picked up a baby and left out this big giggly scream, and the baby was wetting all over her. Didn't have any, no pampers over there, okay? But she, we all started laughing, and everybody started laughing. In the States, I think people would have been appalled. Oh, my goodness, the baby just messed on someone. But I think Hamada saw that and the joy that those people had that came with me for these Africans. That he, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want it. So what about you? Are, are you intentionally allowing the light of Christ to shine through you? Because here's the bottom line. Spiritual darkness exists largely to the extent that we of the church neglect to allow the light of Jesus to shine through us, through our thoughts, through our words, and most importantly, through our deeds. We have to accept that. 
that a large part of the spiritual darkness is because we're doing nothing about it. So let me apply this to your, to your lives. When I'm up here preaching, and it doesn't matter, any of these folks over here, whenever they're in a pulpit preaching, here's the bane of every preacher's existence, and it's this. 90% of you are going to forget 95% of what I've said in 24 hours. The other 10% of you are going to forget what I said before you walk out the doors today. I accept that. However, so that you will remember what Jesus wants you to remember from this message, that you are the light of the world, I want you to take this match home with you. And I want you to place it somewhere where you'll see it every day, many times a day, to remember that you're the light of the world. You can put it on the ceiling above your bed so when you, can, when you wake up, you can say, good morning, Jesus, light of the world. Thank you for making me your light to carry into the world. You can put it on the mirror where you put on your makeup, ladies, men where you shave, put it on the refrigerator, put it on the door you leave to exit the house, put it on the dashboard of your car, not on the speedometer, nobody looks there. Put it over on that screen where people navigate. How many of you have a cell phone? Do you know the average users of cell phone, look at them over 200 times a day? Put it on your cell phone. And if that doesn't work, then place that match in the center of your 80-inch ultra-high-definition LED TV for a week. Dean, Steve, and I, we have an agreement. I've contracted with some CSI agents. You know what a CSI agent is? Crime scene investigator. They're going to sweep this worship space when this service is over. They're going to pick up every match that's on the floor. They're going to take it to the lab. They're going to do a DNA analysis on it. You come back next week, we're going to swab masks. We're going to find out who's hiding their light under a bushel, okay? <laughs> You know, this is kind of silly, isn't it? But, oh my gosh, this is so important. This is so important, my friends, because it's time to heed the call of the prophet Isaiah, the call that most of Israel rejected. It's time to wake up. It's time to break our slumber. It's a time to arise and shine because we have a call. And as Christians, our call is to pierce the darkness. And we have a command to carry the light of Christ into the world. And we have a commission, and that is to lead the lost to Jesus. Again, the question is, will we? Will we answer the call? Will we serve like Simeon and John the Baptist? Will we shine for Jesus and for his glory and for those he actually died and rose again from the dead to save? Will we do that? Only you can answer that question. But I believe we can. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of people out there whose lives depend on you and me sharing that light. You might be the only opportunity they ever have to see the light of Christ. So I beseech you, go forth. Be the light of the world. Share Jesus with others through your words, if necessary, but certainly through your actions. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. 
As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.